The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really does work. Thanks so much for being part of the show, and... Uh, I I will start off with uh, something of a a confession, perhaps, and and that is that, um, like most men, our egos are entirely in the power of our women. And in my case, Mrs. Lappin naturally controls my ego. She has power over it. She can crush and destroy it, or she can elevate it and grow it. And uh, and so, naturally, I am aware at all times of, of how she's feeling and what her mood is and what she's thinking. And, um, and Oh, you don't know what I'm thinking. Well, yes, my friends. <laughs> as you can probably tell, I'm not quite alone in the studio today. And um, yes, Susan Lappin is here with me as well, which is, and you know, I'll tell you why, because here's what I found on her computer the other day. I saw her perusing a saying, a, a quote from the French novelist Balzac. Now, Balzac was a very interesting guy. And um, by the way, he, he was born in um, 1799, and uh, that was exactly the same year that Patrick Henry died. Patrick Henry was one of the great orators of the, uh, of the founding, uh, and he was governor of Virginia not once but twice. And uh, his life came to an end in 1799, and that's when Balzac was born, and Balzac lived for 50 or 60 years in France. As a writer, what interests me about Balzac is that, in a certain sense, he tried to to write a Bible, as it were. What do I mean by that? Well, as you know, uh, to me, uh, Scripture is not an ancient, anachronistic book filled with uh, irrelevant and obsolete accounts of long-forgotten people. No! No, the Bible is a comprehensive matrix of reality. The Bible is where I go to gain information on how the world really works. Well, that's what Balzac tried to write. He tried to write a a sequence of novels. This was his magnum opus, this sort of account of the nature of humanity. And he was going to do it in the form of novels. And he didn't finish it. 
but uh, he went very far. So it's a huge work with many, many characters in it. And his hope was that it would tell every conceivable story of every kind of human inter... Look, that was shooting for the sky. He didn't quite make it, but uh, fine work. Nonetheless, uh, he's got a lot of very quotable quotes. But why, I asked myself, did I find Susan carefully perusing one of his quotes, which goes like this. Said Balzac, and I'm not going to do it in a French accent, uh, Balzac said, I have found that the majority of husbands remind me of an orangutan trying to play the violin. And so I thought, what could be better than to bring my wife in front of the microphone and say to her, Susan, why were you so carefully perusing the quote when Balzac said, in which Balzac said, most husbands remind me of an orangutan trying to play a violin. What on earth did you mean? Well, to be fair, I you know I you know that my physics and actually my knowledge of Balzac is not very good either of those things. But there's something about a space-time continuum. So, despite the fact that he was born in 1799 and that you were born somewhat later, I looked at that and I said, "My goodness, he's plagiarizing my husband." Be- he is. That's right. Because when We have, thank God, six beautiful daughters, and they are very close to their father. And as they began to get married, one by one, particularly the oldest, this was quite a shock to my husband's system. And so our first son-in-law, bless him, with whom we have a wonderful relationship now, but when he was courting our daughter, we did not have a wonderful relationship because my husband saw him as the enemy because there was no way that this young boy was going to be worthy of this amazingly beautiful, accomplished, talent, brilliant woman. No, that's exactly right. And uh, and look, for you, ladies and gentlemen, as a public service, you know that I am the Mother Teresa of podcasts. I think only of you. I care for you. I do everything I can to make your lives easier. And so if any of you guys particularly, are in the situation of uh, a daughter uh, courting, a daughter getting engaged or married. Look, I've got to tell you something. Silly people are going to be telling you all the time, oh, it's fine. You're not going to be losing a daughter. You're gaining a son. And uh, nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, as a longtime boater, I will tell you that that is unadulterated bilge water. The truth is that some pimply youth who just started shaving is about to rip your daughter from the bosom of your family. Have you ever thought that maybe them learning from your mistakes would be a better idea than setting them up to behave as you behaved? Look, all I can tell you is this is an old problem. There is a beautiful poem I think it's by Longfellow. Longfellow. That you, uh, you know what I was thinking. I know what you're thinking. You don't always know what I'm thinking, but I always know what you're thinking. I never know <laughs> <laughs> what you're thinking is the truth of the matter. But, uh, yes, this great poem, Hiawatha, 
has a, by the way, look this up. Do yourselves a favor and look it up. Find the section in the poem where he writes of the old, uh, the old Indian warrior, and he's got this daughter who he dotes on and who takes care of him, and he speaks about how a young brave in bright and resplendent feathers is going to come along and sweep her off her feet. Look, this is an old problem. We've, we, we're dealing with it over a long time. But what you're alluding to is, uh, is that on my radio show at the time, I was on the air on KSFO. Uh, at the time, it was a wonderful station in San Francisco. And, um, and so I sort of was telling people about it as this was playing out a few years ago. And um, and I did say that um, uh, that it and uh, by the way, and I knew nothing about this Balzac quote. I have no idea what. Well, I think what it suggests is that you actually paid more attention than you think in school, and somewhere it went in the recesses of your consciousness. Susan, <laughs> the school that I attended, infrequently as it may have been, they knew as much about Longfellow. Balzac. Or, or Balzac, yeah. They, they, they knew as much about Longfellow or Balzac, you know, as um, the Marx Brothers knew about brain surgery. It's, I did not go to a school <laughs> populated by teachers filled with this deep and passionate love for Western civilization. So, I mean, no wonder I got thrown out. It was a, it was a ridiculous school. I regard it as a mark of tribute that uh, the school could not tolerate me any more than the reverse. But... Um, but I will say that I, uh, I, I did say that it seemed to me that, um, that this young man courting my beautiful daughter was a little bit like a gorilla trying to play the violin. And, uh, and I, I chuckled at that. You know how it's, 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 it's terrible, isn't it, when somebody laughs at his own joke? But I was so delighted with this thing that I stayed with the theme for a while. And I, I kept, you know, people would egg me on. People would phone into the show and say, well, how's it going with your daughter? And I'd say, you know, it's still uh, exactly like uh, a gorilla into whose paws I've placed this priceless Stradivarius violin. And to tell you the truth, I don't know if the gorilla's ever going to learn to play this violin. You are minimizing the damage, because not only did you speak about it on local radio, which reaches a couple of tens of thousands of people. Hundreds, if hundreds, you don't mind. Sorry. You were, you were actually for, you were talking at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., and this went nationwide on the air, including into the small little city where this young man's parents live. In Virginia. Who, who had not met you yet and were so eager to be introduced to you because they heard you were going to be giving a speech at the press club. And, I, and the speech went great. And, and when I came out of this, I said, <laughs> you know, my daughter's going out with this, this guy. It's my oldest daughter's first daughter to be courting. And... Uh, and I, I must tell you, I feel as if I've placed this priceless Stradivarius violin into the paws of a gorilla. And, uh, and people laughed, and I, I, I thought this was great, and I carried on, and I said, and I'm just watching to see if this gorilla is ever going to learn to play the violin. And people laughed and thought it was wonderful, which just egged me on more, and I came up with the, the last part of it, and I said, well, uh, the truth is that I, in this case, I think it's more likely that the violin is going to learn to play the gorilla. And people laughed, and I laughed, completely oblivious of the fact that the gorilla's parents, who are absolutely beautiful, lovely people, we love them. They are really a lovely, lovely couple in Virginia, southern couple, and um, they were listening, or they're actually watching it on C-SPAN, I think, is what was happening. Anyways, as you can imagine, um, tell folks what happened at the wedding. 
Well, at the wedding, um, Jewish weddings are an awful lot of fun. They are, they have a huge celebration. After the ceremony, there is a party, and the party is filled with dancing and singing and skits. The whole idea, it's actually a, a commandment. The idea is to be, to make the bride and groom rejoice. And so people do all sorts of things. They get up and juggle, or they throw flaming torches, and there's a lot of dancing. And all of a sudden, into the dance circle runs a young man in a gorilla costume with a violin, playing a violin. At which point, at this point, everybody there pretty much had heard the story, I think. And so the room just cracked up. Um, and that had been arranged by uh, the groom's parents, unbeknownst to us. Uh, they had arranged for this um, this guy who can play the violin to come in dressed as a gorilla playing the violin. Anyway, uh, I, I became a little more careful uh, going on from that. But uh, anyway, Susan, before we go to break, uh, why don't we direct people to the website at rabbidaniellappin.com, rabbidaniellappin.com. Head over there and uh, take a look at – you know, I don't think I've told you about this resource we want to uh, have you guys look at. Uh, so, some of you know we, we do a daily television show on the TCT television network. And, uh, and you know, we've, we've, we've done hundreds and hundreds of shows. But what we did is we selected out 12 of truly the best shows, the ones that make us laugh with not only delight, but also excitement at, uh, at the fact that, that we were blessed in our attempt to get across uh, certain points. Also, also the ones that we got the most email about or phone calls or letters, people telling us, wow, I watched that, you know, I want to watch that over again. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so what you want to look for on the website is uh, something called Ancient Jewish Wisdom, and it's three volumes. It's a DVD set of it's three DVDs. It's a DVD DVDs. set. So it's three, uh, it's three DVDs, each one containing four complete television shows for a total of 12 of our favorite shows. And uh, you can pop these into your player, and you can, you can, so you can rip them into your, uh, into your iPad, or whatever it is, you, however you watch, uh, you can see these shows. So go ahead, take a look at Ancient Jewish Wisdom and order the three DVD set for 12 of our favorite television shows. And I think your favorite as well, based, as Susan says, on the response we got. Okay, quick break here on the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show, where for the price of one rabbi, you actually get a fantastic deal because today it's not just me, but it's Mrs. Lappin as well. Mrs. Lappin, yes, that one who happens, by the way, to be a crack shot with a 357 Magnum. I'm just saying. I'll be right back. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. If you're in the market for a new mattress, casper.com slash rabbi should be the next website you visit. Casper created an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's one perfect mattress, and it's sold directly to you, eliminating the need to endure one of those commission salesman mattress stores with inflated prices. Casper is shipped for free right to your door, astonishingly delivered in a sleek, how did it fit in there box. You just let it unfold, and there you have it, one of the most supportive sleep surfaces ever designed, hassle-free. 
Casper is made in America, and Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Breathable latex and memory foams are combined for just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights free, and if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Right now, get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash rabbi. That's casper.com promo code rabbi. Terms and conditions apply. casper.com slash rabbi. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. We're back here at the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Uh, one of the very finest shows in its price range on all of broadcasting. <laughs> why, do you, why do you laugh? I just like the way you talk. <laughs> well, let's hope you're not the only right. one who likes the way I talk, because otherwise we're just not going to have any listeners at all. <laughs> um, so at any rate, uh, Susan and I are, are, are having fun. We're delighted to be together with you. And um, uh, we move right along to something that uh, we were discussing uh, recently, do you want to kick that off? Well, it was it was really an interesting. We were at an event, and it was an event that was celebrating the achievement of a group of about two dozen young professionals, and they had all reached a another rank in their in their professional achievement, and they had worked really hard. I mean, this was this was not this is not a sinecure. They had they'd worked so hard, and they were an impressive, wonderful group of people, both academically. And um, emotionally, and, and just really impressive, and we were completely shocked. Now we we do live in the current century. My kids sometimes kid me that the movies I prefer were made in the 1950s, and the books I prefer reading were written in the 1800s. But the fact is, we we do live in this, you know, in the current day and age. We are pretty much we think up with what's going on, but we were completely shocked because there was one person in this group and that was why we were we were there but one of the people in the group is someone we know very well and we mentioned two particular um, couples that had with whom we'd had some exchange and he said and one of them had two children there they were the they had brought along their two children very young children and we asked a question about the wife because the husband was the one who was being um, lauded and so we we asked what you know a question about the wife to which the young man we know said oh actually they're not married they've been together 10 years um we could see they have two children and he said that they're actually not married and proceeded to tell us about her and you know and also we should say that uh, again as susan said i just want to stress you know we were there as as guests and uh, and so we 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 were mingling with people and First of all, we were very, very impressed. I mean, you know, young people who have worked hard for many, many years at their careers and, and really achieved uh, stunning, stunning peaks. Uh, and so, you know, th th they were nice looking. They were serious. Uh, we were just overall, we, we, we like felt at home. We thought, gosh, you know what? There's hope for America. This is just a terrific group of people. And... Um, and so we, we got to know different, you know, you, we, we sp spoke to one couple here. Everybody had their spouses along, and, and we spoke to another couple there. And, and it was just, you know, it was one of these evenings where you think to yourself, you know, this is okay. We're okay. If America is turning out people like this, we are okay. So uh, we're thinking, uh, 
you know, how, how neat is that, that after a number of years of, of really grueling work, academic work, uh, practical work, and here's this couple, you know, uh, they, they've been together, they've got two delightful little kids, um, and we just say how nice this is, that, that they've got to this point and they've stuck it out and everything's great. And, um, and, and there was another couple we ended up talking to as well that, uh, again, you know, these nice-looking people, incredibly accomplished. He, he was the person, and his wife uh, was, um, w you know, just, again, a pleasure to talk to. And, and as we spoke to her, we found out that she was doing quite well in her own profession. Yeah, she had a profession as well and was also accomplished. And, uh, and again, you know, when you see people who are, are dedicated to their work, uh, it's, you, you know, y you see in the culture there, you hear about this, right? Don't you hear all the time, the, it's almost a social meme of slacker guys who hang out in their parents' basements playing video games and, and you, you know, other guys not looking for work. Uh, you remember there was this fascinating letter we saw recently yes. where a woman who was an accomplished woman writes and says, you know, um, uh, we both, we met in art school, and uh, but we've come out of art school, and now I'm working for a company, but uh, my boyfriend uh, thinks that um, I'm selling out to the corporate world. And, you know, and, and she paints a picture. It's very, very sad. She, you know, she sounds like a terrific girl. She's stuck with this boyfriend of hers who she's in love with, but he's, he's a real loser. He's going nowhere. So by contrast with that, we're meeting with this group of graduates, basically. And I just basically. have the fact is it just happened to be that it was overwhelmingly male. Male, yeah. It was, there was, I think, one woman. It was one actually woman. one woman, which was unusual. It's unusual. It doesn't reflect most classes of this group, but that is what happened here. Yeah, we were so it was, young it was mostly young guys, and, uh, and the majority of them were there with, with their wives, or, or so it was, we thought, and uh, we just really enjoyed. We thought, this is so great to be in a group of people uh, who have thrown themselves into their work that seriously and, and with such diligence and such self-control and discipline. And here they are. They've reached this point of accomplishment and achievement and graduation. It's really just lovely. And so I was just want to say that that first couple who seemed like a nice couple, it, it's and then we're told, well, they're not married and they, they have a family. <laughs> They've been together. And it just, it just highlighted for me a, a sadness about how Marriage has somehow lost, it, it's just lost its importance. That, that obviously you have many people who, who want to change the definition of marriage, but even within a young couple who are having children together, and two, by choice. Two, two children they got. We're not talking, you know, high school teenagers who yeah. all of a sudden she found herself pregnant. We're talking about a very serious couple who, made, who are, are excited and choosing to bring children that they seem, I mean, we didn't, we didn't go back and ask them, so uh, we're making, we are definitely making a guess, but clearly from the, from the evidence, they see no importance that what's the difference to them? It's no difference if they're married or to their children, you know, I think if part they're of married the reason, or not married. No, no difference at all to them. Part of the reason that I, I was a bit shocked was that his parents were there as well, right? It was a big celebration, and so, and his parents, didn't they look sort of very... Middle, middle America. Yes, they did. And they might have been. We didn't. We didn't ask we where didn't they were talk, from. But they certainly. They them, certainly but, uh, looked like they could have come so his parents from a smaller are there. place. Yeah, they looked like Midwest. Yes, um, they did. 
you know, solid salt of the earth type. And their son also, you know, looked Everybody looked nice. They looked fabulous. (laughs) And his wife, you know, she was a a very nice-looking young woman. She was about 35, 38, something like that. Maybe early 30s, I would have said. Earlier 30s. And and then these two really pretty bouncy little kids. It was a real pleasure. So um, when we were then told that they weren't weren't married, and it was was disconcerting, you know, and the other couple – and the other couple, and here again, the young man's parents were there who also looked just like a lovely, a lovely standard, uh, the kind of people you think of as people's parents, you know, in, in, the, in a healthy society, just like nice people. And um, we spoke to them, and later we were told that this young couple is married, the, the young man who was being, who had graduated and, and, his, and the woman next to him, they, they were married. But this one was even more shocking. But we were told, but it's an open marriage. You know, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't want to sound like a complete derelict of a dinosaur to the person who talking to us. But I, I said, well, excuse me, like, are you saying that she dates other people? Hey, other dating guys? is a very quaint word. Yeah, here. it's a quaint word. I mean, what I really obviously meant well, we was something more specific. Well, we don't have to explain it. Everyone knows. And... <laughs> I wasn't going to. Okay. And so does he. <laughs> and so the answer was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so does he. Uh, you know, he, he goes with other women. She goes with other men. And they've been together for 10 years. Also 10 years. 10 years. So, all right. Okay. So we're, we're a little bit, you know, dumbfounded at all this. And, um, and, and we're trying to analyze it and investigate it. And, well, and upset by it because they're, these are young people who really – um, could and should be setting up for highly successful lives. And am I making a judgment call that maybe things might not go as well as they could? On, on the open marriage, you bet. I should, certainly am making a judgment call. And to be truthful, um, there, did not, there did seem to be some, something off in the relationship. And I was watching her face when her husband was being, you know, um, spoken about. And there wasn't the pride and joy that you would expect to see on a wife's face at that in that situation. Um, she was more, dis- you know, she was distracted. She was pulling out her phone. Also, also, I don't know if you, she was, she was exuding um, an aggressive seductiveness as well. Well, not to me. Well, I don't, not necessarily <laughs> to me, either, but, but it, I, I did find that a little bit uh, disturbing. But then when it was explained to me afterwards, wow. It made sense. Wow. Now, you know, and, and the answer to that will be, well, we know lots of married, you know, we know there are lots of married couples who get divorced. There are lots of married couples who are unhappy. And, of course, that is true. But the, there is a, bo- there has to be a bottom line somewhere. In other words, I, you know, I just wrote in my, in my last musing, I wrote about um, being on jury duty, which I was just on. And I spoke about, um, it, it was interesting because we were called in as prospective jurors and the judge asked questions, and among the questions was, would we give more weight or credence to the testimony of a policeman or a detective or a member of law enforcement than to any other witness, which I found a very interesting question. And, you know, they don't give you, they don't say, well, no, go home and think about this, write an essay and come back telling us what your response is. You, you know, you get five seconds to decide yes or no. I'm going to answer yes or no to this question. But... I, I did do a bit of thinking about the question afterward, and it's a very tough one because 
I do. I, I Look, I have tremendous respect, and we all should have gratitude to law enforcement. These are the people, I mean, think back to 9-11. These are the people who rush into problem when everybody else is running away. But, um, but at the same time, I am fully aware that in many city police departments, including the one that where I was on jury duty, there is a level of corruption. And so I both have more respect and less respect for people of the members of the police force because I've got to decide are they one of the good guys or one of the bad guys. Um, now, you're going to bring this back around to the, uh, yes, to the, the couple. Yes, I All right, so let's do that uh, on the next segment so, okay. as, as, as we right. come back. So uh, right now, everybody, just go to the website, right? Don't, don't make me beg you, right? It's unseemly. Don't, don't make me drag this out. The website's rabbidaniellappin.com. The resource is uh, 12 uh, half-hour TV shows. You'll love them. And, uh, they it's happen called. to also be on sale right now, so you get the three volumes for the price of two if you get the set. But they, they just are fun. You know, we put out okay, resources. That's, that's, that's for the people of Hebrew parentage, right? They get a discount. No? That's, I think that's an anti-Semitic joke, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> All right, fine. So, good. Discount for everybody. Uh, two, three for the price of two. It's called Ancient Jewish Wisdom. It's three DVDs. You've got your TV shows. Uh, and everybody's happy. So it's RabbiDanielLappin.com. Waste no time. We'll be back in a moment. The Blaze On Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. So what does jury ha duty have to do with these two young couples that we met? Well, the point is that what I'm saying is police can be corrupt. Yeah, that's, that's just life. But you want to have a standard. You want to know that that's not the right way to be. In the world, you have to know where your standard is. And when it comes to marriage, we seem to have – it was really upsetting to us how these successful young people have so moved away from seeming to even feel that there is a standard. So, yes, marriages sometimes don't work out. That doesn't mean you want to now abandon the standard. And that's what we were feeling, that the standard had just been abandoned here. And the fact is, in these people's profession, or in any profession, other than maybe politics and, and, and things like that, and, you know, tenured teachers, when you don't succeed, you become aware of it. Look, there are times that fads come. It was a tulip fad. Was it in the 1500s? I don't, I don't remember. I don't 1500s? Remember you mean in Holland? In yeah, Holland. The tulip where there was a tulip craze, and people made and lost fortunes and gambled their homes and livelihood because this tulip craze took over the world. But it doesn't last forever because tulips at a certain point don't have intrinsic value. Right? You might have a dot-com bubble. It's going to bust if it's not based on intrinsic value. At a certain point, when you try something, in most areas of life, you find out very quickly if it's not working and if it needs to be adjusted. And it's assuming, again, it's not true for government. 
and it, or you may find out it doesn't work, but it doesn't get adjusted. But if, and if the government doesn't interfere too much with business, that happens in business as well. Whether it's you open a store, you open a service, you, if you're not doing things right, you're going to find out very quickly because you're going to see it in your bottom line. But when the world changes um, social things, you know, we start, we abandon, we abandon and we moved, this is now quite a while ago, we moved to no-fault divorce. It used to be that you had to have cause for divorce, and then we said, no, everybody should just be able to get divorced. And when somehow that didn't seem to help marriages and help establish, it's not that we went back and said, you know, well, maybe, maybe that wasn't a good idea. Maybe that change wasn't good. Instead, we said, well, let's make another change to marriage. And that's what we've been doing for the past 50 years, 40 years. We've been just making one change after another. And I guess what struck us was that instead of looking and saying, hey, things are not good, People don't seem to be happier in their personal lives and, and living lives of greater satisfaction and greater joy than they used to be. Things aren't good. It's not working. Instead of saying, well, we, maybe we should go backwards. Maybe we should say maybe we changed some things we shouldn't have changed. It wasn't successful. Instead, we keep thinking, we keep somehow going along a path that says, well, let's try another change. Let's just try one more change. That's going to be the answer. And it was, I truly felt bad for this, particularly of the young man of this couple with the open marriage, because I, he did not look, he didn't look happy, truthfully. No. And I felt, and it turns out we got a little story. He came from a smaller town and went off to college and met this sophisticated and way more worldly person, wo woman, girl. girl. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't see great happiness for them down the road. And it, it's just sad that they may never have heard. There are actually rules for marriage. There are things, and sometimes, yes, sometimes it doesn't work, but you have a standard, you have a greater chance of it working. Yeah, look, um, the, the thing is, uh, there was a period, um, w you remember the Boeing 707 was the first successful uh, passenger jetliner. Before that, there was the Comet, which was a very beautiful, futuristic plane. I do not plane remember that. From you'd, if I showed you a picture, and it was before you were, I think it was before you were, well, it was not before <laughs> you were born, but you were, you were in preschool. Um, the de Havilland, the same people. I've heard of it. I the same people who make the seaplanes oh. in the Pacific Northwest. The de Havilland Beaver, which is the most prevalent and fantastic uh, float plane used in British Columbia and Alaska, uh, that same company, the de Havilland Company, made the Comet. There were problems with it. Like the Concorde, many, many, many years later, it had the engines in the wing, and it, it created difficulties. Oops, sorry. Uh, sorry about that interruption. Um, somebody and wild horses uh, could not extract the I name confess, of this person. I confess it was me. I did not put my phone on silent. Um, and really what should happen, of course, is that um, we should uh, remove that with a little bit of judicious sound editing, but we're not going to do that this time just because there's uh, uh, the, the well, it, it's not, it's just not doable time wise this time, so apologies for that. But, uh, but anyway, what I was saying is after the comet came the Boeing 707, and um, uh, and followed by the way by the 747 which we love flying on, but uh, you know it's hard to believe just how old the Boeing 747 design is. It's been a long time. Anyway, my point is, 
that Russia started producing airplanes that looked a lot like uh, the successful Boeing airplanes as well. And there was no question about it that the Russians were stealing designs, no question. However, uh, a point they made in their defense, which was absolutely legitimate, was that when you get right down to it, how many different ways are there, do you think, of building a four-engined transoceanic large passenger jet? Okay? And when you think about it, you know, you've got to have wings, you've got to have tail, you've got to have rudder, you've got to have ailerons, you've got to have elevators. Uh, the control surfaces are all going to look the same pretty much where they are. Uh, it's, it's like asking somebody to distinguish uh, a today the most successful small uh, mid-range plane, the, the Boeing 737, from the Airbus equivalent, the A320. And I mean, they're tiny distinctions, all right? I, I, I can tell the difference, but you really got to look. Uh, there are not a lot of ways. You know why? Because if you decide to try and put two engines on one wing and one engine on the other wing, it's not going to work. Um, even if you decide to put the engines above the wing instead of below the wing, it doesn't work so well. It's a question of balance. If you bolt the engines into the wing, instead of putting them on pylons, it's not going to work as well because for maintenance reasons, it's fabulous to be able to knock out one bolt, disconnect fuel lines, and switch out an engine. It can be done really very quickly. All of these are obvious things, and, um, and the point is the Russians were saying, hey, look, you know, we, they did copy a lot, but we, they were saying, oh, we didn't copy. It's just when you set out to make this kind of plane, this is what it's going to look like. You know what? They're right. How about bridges? Right? Other than a few rare, magnificent exceptions, like the Brooklyn Bridge joining Manhattan to Brooklyn, built by John Roebling in 18, 1800s, fine, um, before or after the Civil War? I think after. Yeah, I think after the Civil War is correct. Uh, but it's a magnificent, distinctive bridge. But And I can always pick that out. And there are a few bridges. I think I can pick out the Verrazano Bridge in New York, obviously the Golden Gate in San Francisco. But uh, uh, there are half a dozen bridges in Los Angeles near the harbor. I couldn't tell one from the other. The Coronado Bay Bridge in San Diego looks like half a dozen similar bridges in, in uh, Florida. But I think even, even the ones that look different follow certain principles. That's right. In other words, the reason you can't tell them apart when you cannot tell them apart is because there's not a lot of ways of building a bridge. You can do a suspension bridge, and if you do, pretty much all suspension bridges are going to look the same. You've got to have two towers. You've got to have cables in a catenary running down with cables running down to the roadbed. And, I mean, it's, that's I it. I think maybe a, the exception proves the rule because if you ever Google um, unusual bridges of the world, you get these really weird things that the reason that's a special site is because it's so unusual. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, it's otherwise. Look, why aren't there crazy things? How about uh, skyscrapers? You know, one of the most beautiful skyscrapers uh, built in uh, the 1930s was the Empire State Building. You know, and it it sort of gets slender and slender as it goes up. Now, not all buildings have to do that. I found the old World Trade Center. Uh, towers, beautiful as well, although they didn't change in cross-section as they went up in towards the clouds. But how about the other way? How about having a building on a very small base and getting wider and wider and wider as it goes up into the I sky? I think there's a building like that in Seattle, isn't no, it? We it's call it the, the chip, like the, the beaver, beaver building. building. No, but it, is, it isn't exactly like It's it. an it, illusion. It, it, it's, but the, pu the peculiarity is exactly that point. fact is you don't build buildings that way because they're intrinsically unstable. 
So we know that. We see that. We know with economics as well, right? There are certain things, right? Socialistic systems are intrinsically unstable. They don't have a long lifespan. And um, even with government pushing it, extracting money from the efficient and the productive in order to undergird and underpin and buttress the failed and the hopeless and the disastrous, as Obama did with Solyndra and some of the other disastrous um, uh, so-called sustainable energy companies. Uh, but eventually, these things don't work. Economically, they don't work. In physics, in engineering, in architecture, when things are just wrong, when they don't have long-term durability, they stop working. And the fact is, this is not true when it comes to human life. When it comes to things like how best to arrange for humans to live together, there is a system that is like a suspension bridge. It's called the family, where a man and a woman are dedicated to one another and the children they're raising. It works better. Wait, wait, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you said it's not true for human interaction. I Meaning thought, that, that... What's not true? That you do not find that failures prove it and people stop doing it. Ah, that people are constantly trying something new rather than recognizing right, way so we should have gone back to the original so nobody's trying anything shockingly new with there's a new bridge I that's see. just opening in china fantastic bridges being built there but it's standard it looks like you expect a bridge to look like but what we ran up against was lifestyle choices uh, the other night of young couples who choosing to live in a way that my goodness they have no idea of the intrinsic peril they have no idea of the intrinsic flaws within the marital structure and the almost inevitable fracture lines that are going to show up. First of all, in the couple with uh, a growing family, two young children who decided they're not going to get married, it's not worth getting married, don't want to get married, there's no value, whatever it is. And then the other couple uh, in an open marriage. Wow. Right? This is the equivalent of building a skyscraper on a teensy narrow base and having it get broader and broader and wider and wider and bigger and bigger as it climbs and grows in height. Very, very strange. And when we come back, Susan, um, you are going to explain, because mm -hmm. we haven't quite got to an explanation, of why you were so entranced with the quote from the French I novelist Balzac. That. Um, most marriages that I see, said Balzac, resemble an orangutan trying to play the violin. And you think you explained why you were interested in that Well, because quote? he plagiarized you, yes. That's oh, why I was interested. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, he did. You're right. Okay, with the legal department of the <laughs> Lappin organization, okay, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Ministries, with our legal department, if you're listening, please set about uh, uh, establishing legal proceedings against Balzac or his estate for plagiarizing me on the uh, uh, on the um, uh, the the quote and the 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 comparison of a husband being a gorilla trying to play the violin. Okay, uh, quick break. The product we want to direct your attention today is called the Ancient Jewish Wisdom Show. It's a set of three DVDs, each containing four beautiful television shows, which we all selected together uh, for your pleasure, and uh, it's three for the price of two. So you absolutely, even if you're not Jewish, you absolutely cannot ignore that deal. 
right? That's a deal. We got a real deal for you. And it's over there at Rabbi Daniel. You know what? I'm sorry. The deal is not. It's it, it's nice. You save a little money by getting it this week rather than getting it two weeks from now. But the deal is that there. It's full of life wisdom, of real insights, and and things that only come out of sometimes it's having to know a Hebrew word. Sometimes it's having to have well, always it's having to have access to ancient Jewish wisdom. It's an understanding of how the world really works that you don't have uh, if you don't you, have I access. I think you need to put a little bit more effort into that. Really, could we try that again? It was how the world really works. Well, I mean, oh, uh, how the world really works. Yeah, that's good, Susan. That's really <laughs> good. All right, we'll be right back. The Blaze on Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Okay, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show uh, today. Uh, lots of fun because Susan Lappin is joining in as well. And um, we... Uh, And as we look at how the world, yes, really does work. And, uh, uh, you know, last time, last time we did a show together where uh, uh, my wife joined us on the show, uh, we actually asked you to, to let us know whether you enjoyed having us uh, do the show together. And um, overwhelmingly, you all answered yes. So uh, I trust the, I trust the uh, enthusiasm remains consistent and um, and we're able to do it together because I certainly enjoy uh, doing a show together with Susan. So, uh, so, so look, there it is. If, uh, if you watch a bridge being built and, um, and somebody says, you know what, uh, we're going to do this, it's going to be a sort of a suspension bridge, but we're going to do it with one tower and we're just going to run wires down halfway. And the other side, we're going to try and do something a little bit differently. And almost anybody can look at the, the bridge and you say to yourself, you know, this is not long for this world. Um, or, you know, maybe you see it in design. Or, but you look at, you know, you know what, this can't work. Uh, it's just wrong. You, you see the, the weight is going to come on the bridge as the, the traffic builds up. And it's going to set up wobbles. You, know, you, you can tell. I mean, anybody with anything of an eye for uh, mechanical realities, you look at that and you say, you know, here is what's going to happen. Um, in the state of Washington, they built a, a bridge called the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. This was built, uh, I think, in the 1940s. And in the early 40s, um, it eventually, uh, what happened is it, the wind blew. Very soon after it was completed, and um, people, drivers felt weird and uncomfortable uh, on the bridge. You know, they could tell that it wasn't doing well. And they began calling it Galloping Gertie because the, the roadbed, the roadway would undulate in the wind. Well, there were many engineers at the time who looked at the bridge and said, it's no good. There's something wrong. It's just not going to work. It's not going to stand. 
you know, and we, we test these things out, and sure enough, the bridge on during a windstorm, the bridge began to vibrate, and eventually it, uh, it shook itself to pieces, literally. I laugh because, thank God, no lives were lost. I think a dog died on that, that was left but in the car. But you can see a video of it. There's a video of it. And there's a video online of Galloping Gertie, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Uh, but my point is you could have looked at it. It wasn't going to work. Uh, when they built the World Trade Center, again, you know, a, a building I loved, and which I really hoped, by the way, I really hoped they would rebuild it exactly the same as before with an extra one extra floor. That's, that's what I hoped, to really um, give the finger to the barbarians who destroyed it. Uh, and they went and built uh, something completely new on the site at the southern end of Manhattan Island. And, you know, it's a nice building, but I don't think it's anything of a patch on, on that magnificent structure. But when they built it back in the 60s, um, one of the questions was, and nothing had been tried like this before because it was built, instead of built being built rock solid like the Empire State Building with steel framework, because of the height, they went for a very light kind of a structure. And, um, and they realized the building was going to sway in a windstorm, and the, the, the people in the upper floors are going to be swaying. And nobody knew at the point whether there was going to be any reaction. Like, nobody knew there was no experience. At a certain point, it would be uncomfortable. If it swayed too much, yeah, people are not going to want to stay there. But how much was <laughs> right. that point? Nobody knew. And so they hired a, a group of industrial psychologists. And you remember where it was? In Eugene. Eugene, Oregon. Eugene, Oregon where they set up, it was very clever, they set up a fake eye clinic with, with a real ophthalmologist, uh, but they built the room on rollers with hydraulic actuators, and people were invited to come and have their eyes checked for free. What nobody knew except the ophthalmologist was that while, this was, while the eye exam was going on, they were going to be rolling the room backwards and forwards with a motion, a simple harmonic motion for those of you interested, that would exactly replicate the motion on the upper floors of the yet-to-be-built World Trade Center in New York. And uh, it didn't take very long before uh, the ophthalmologist and his patients, the patients, of course, had no idea what was going on uh, because with simple harmonic motion, it's, it's the way a pendulum moves. The motion at the extremes goes very slowly. So they couldn't actually say, all the patients reported great discomfort. None of them were able to say, uh, you know what, it's, um, it's, this room is moving. Nobody knew the room was moving. They just felt queasy and uncomfortable. The ophthalmologist himself, who was in the room all the time and who knew what was going on, reported being in a constant state of nausea and seasickness. <laughs> it was awful. Anyway, they immediately went back to the architect in Chicago, brilliant architect. They went back to the engineers in New York and said, no go, you cannot build it the way you're planning it. The motion is going to make people uncomfortable on the top floors. And so they, they built 17,000 um, shock absorbers, rubber and steel panels that were then fitted into the buildings to stop that motion. Amazing. Yeah, and it, it really did, and the buildings were wonderful. They succeeded magnificently. Uh, the point being is it's not hard to tell when a, a system is going to fail. And in the same way, my friends, anybody with a little bit of real-life experience, anybody with a little bit of awareness of ancient Jewish wisdom, or anybody with a little bit of understanding of how the world oh, really, really works, uh, would look at these two couples and we're going to say, yeah, you know what, this, this isn't a good idea. Somewhere down the road, uh, the, whether it's going to be 
the woman who is going to say, I'd like to get married, or whether one of them is going to want the, 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 the real, the external security that comes from a sense we're making a public commitment for life. All right, and God forbid in the sad event it doesn't work, it's called a divorce. It's tragic all around. It's never good news, not for anybody. But we're starting off with a commitment in front of family, in front of community, and in front of God that we're together for life. That is a helpful thing. And somewhere down the road, I think it's very likely, I'm not a prophet, there can be exceptions, but generally speaking, uh, that couple that uh, is raising so far two children and, uh, and no marriage, at some point there's going to be a crisis. And how it's going to play out, I don't know. But I do know this is the equivalent of a bridge that is built with a wrong uh, design or a building that is constructed against standard engineering principles. And uh, the, the other couple, uh, open marriage couple, um, you know, she's going to push something just a little bit too far. Uh, he's going to fight. You see, when you're 23 or 22 or 19, the idea of an open marriage sounds very audacious and bold and defying of the boring conventions of society. But when you're 29 and 32 and 35, and um, particularly if you're a guy and uh, your wife is out having affairs with other guys, you're going to find that having your own affair with another woman is not going to be something you're going to feel like doing, and it's not going to be something that's going to make you come to terms with what your wife is doing. This is, it, it's, it's a pileup waiting to happen. And in my view, probably not so far away. And um, I have actually um, set up a situation that I'm actually going to be able to be aware uh, as time goes by over the next year or two, I'm actually going to be able to know a little bit about how things do play out. And uh, I, I don't want to say how or why, but I, I, do, uh, I will report on this as we move along over the months ahead. At any rate, my friends, it is time for Susan Lappin and me, your rabbi, to uh, bid farewell to you. Our website, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, the thank you, just thank you for letting me sit in today. Oh gosh, thank fun. you for joining me. I know you've got plenty of things to do, but it it really is fun, more fun for me to uh, do together with you than without you. So thanks so much, and all of you, thank you for listening. Hey, thank you all of you who help promote the show, tell other people about it, send URLs, connect people up with this show. Thank you very much indeed. I love that and appreciate it. And uh, until we are together with the next show, it'll be released in a week. Uh, from the day of the release of this show. It's every weekend the shows go out. Uh, thank you, and until the next show, we both wish you a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. I'm Susan Lappin. And we say, God bless. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.